Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to The Kingdom Ethics. Today, David is going to be sharing with us some thoughts about Poland, because everyone has opinions on Poland. David, what are your Polish opinions? <laughs> Plautiffs. Um, a big a word that does p is a plautiff, and we hate those in recording because you go when you say them, and it sounds terrible on the recording. Background technical notes by Jim. <laughs> so um, Poland, why Poland? I've never. I'm interested. Poland, in Poland doesn't Poland. come to my mind very often. Well, um, anybody who's a student of World War II uh, studies Poland. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I think about Poland. Is it sort of the the trampling piece of empires moving east and west in Europe? Yes, that's true. And in World War II, their history was uh, brutalized from the east when the Soviets took half and from the west when the Nazis took half. Well, actually, yeah, took half. And um, uh, Poland became the site of uh, the death camps. And um, uh, Poland lost three million Jewish victims and three million non-Jewish victims um, and ended up dominated by the Soviet Union in the Cold War period. Poland also becomes an inspiring site of uh, resistance to uh, the Soviet Union and to communism with the Solidarity Movement. Mm -hmm. The home of the the Pope? Hmm? Yes, and then of course the inspiring story of the man who became Pope John Paul II, the first Polish Pope and only Polish Pope so far. Somebody we feature in the Moral Leaders book. And in the Moral Uh, Leadership uh, season of this podcast, if you go back to season one, you can find an in-depth discussion on the life and legacy of JP2. Right. So, um, also, as I say in this new chapter on Poland... Uh, Poland became one of the most active and inspiring sources or places of democratic organizing in the post-communist bloc. Um, Poland knew what it was like to live under oppression time and time again. And um, the way I would tell and do tell the story is that Poland had um, about 25 years of... um, building a pretty vibrant democracy, uh, joining the European Union, um, being uh, viewed as a model of democratization, of cleaning up corruption, of um, of embracing democratic norms in the post-Soviet period. But then uh, the Law and Justice Party, uh, those who, in Europe, they call it, they, they call it the Peace Party, P-I-S, uh, for the acronym for Law and Justice. So the Peace Party, or the law, I just call it the Law and Justice Party, um, took Poland in a very different direction. The Law and Justice Party, which uh, came to power uh, after 2014, um, was an authoritarian, reactionary Christian party. Still is. Um, uh playing the card of Catholic moral traditionalism, the PIS party or the peace party, um, it, it 
according to most observers, uh, including the European Union, subverted democratic norms and practices in Poland in the name of uh, traditional Catholic values as much as anything. So we talked about Putin's Russia last episode. Are they doing the same thing, but Catholic instead of Orthodox? Um, yes, but but um, the the subversion of democracy has been uh, far less um, thoroughgoing than what Putin has done. Putin okay. Putin choked democracy in its cradle in Russia um, because he came to power in two thousand before the democracy the democratization of Russia had a chance to really get going. The uh, PIS party, the Peace Party, Law and Justice Party, um, won uh, in elections from 2014 forward until they just, looks like they have just lost in an election that took place on Sunday, October 15th. So, um, but for eight years, they were doing something more subtle manipulating and weakening democracy um, using some of the mechanisms of power that that they were able to accrue so 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 um, here's how um, Freedom House describes developments in Poland um, Poland's democratic institutions took root at the start of its transition from communist rule in 1989 Rapid economic growth and other societal changes have benefited some segments of the population more than others, contributing to a deep divide between liberal pro-European parties and those purporting to defend national interests and traditional, quote-unquote, Polish Catholic values. Since taking power in late 2015, okay, 2015, a coalition led by the Law and Justice Party, which is populist and socially conservative, has enacted numerous measures that have increased political influence over state institutions and damaged Poland's democratic progress. Recent years have seen an increase in nationalist, homophobic, and discriminatory rhetoric. So specific things um, that they've been criticized or were criticized for, um, their uh, failure to administer a fully fair presidential election in 2021, the manipulation of public broadcasting to support the government's candidates, um, the use of public broadcasting for xenophobia, homophobia, and anti-Semitic rhetoric. It'd be like if NPR or BBC News were hijacked by one of the parties to pitch that party's candidates and, and its rhetoric in an election, right? We would know that was not right, right? Um, the use of government funds to support candidates of the ruling coalition rather than all candidates, um, the use of public funds to, to support civil society organizations and local communities that are sympathetic to the current government, um, the decline of independence of private media as well, harassment of independent journalism, um, intimidation by the government and physical attacks on journalists, <clears throat> the um, compromising of judicial independence, uh, putting in place very strict abortion law through uh, legally uh, arguable or questionable means, um, 
uh, the compromise of the civil service, diplomatic corps and the military, uh, use of media to attack individuals and promote conspiracy theories, and the return of public anti-Semitism. Lots of anti-LGBT laws and resolutions, anti-gay rhetoric from officials and from the church. So, um, so all of this has been sufficient that the EU has suspended uh, a chunk of aid to um, that is being it was COVID related aid that was being sent to all the EU countries was was withheld from the Polish government because of its uh, actions. The good news is, uh, lots of people in Poland were not happy with this direction, and then. In the election that happened two days ago, October 15th, uh, three parties that were opposed to this party appear to have the votes to build a coalition that is, a good, again, going to be uh, in place to to unwind some of this illiberal and, and authoritarian stuff and to move back in the direction of democratic norms. So so it appears uh, the even though the Law and Justice Party had the most votes of any one party, they're not going to be able to form a majority and have control of the government again. So that's how parliamentary systems work. So that's actually good news. Um, but again, the bulk of support, does this sound familiar, Jeremy? Rural and small town conservative Christians supporting a government that was compromising democratic norms in the name of traditional Christian values. Does that sound familiar at all? It, uh, it smacks of something. Right. <clears throat> um, but one of the things that is raised by this story is you can undercut democracy in ways other than just kind of bulldozing people and killing them. It's things like the judiciary manipulating or uh, or um, subverting the independence of the judiciary or public media, right? Like the media environment um, is, is an issue in all of these countries. And that's something we could talk about in terms of our country too. What is the media environment, mm. right? Um, and <laughs> the vulnerability of media that is not controlled by the corporate sector to be um, the vulnerability to be manipulated by the government if it gets heavy-handed with it. Right? Um, and uh, and then the use of government rhetoric to target minority groups and the use of media to amplify that. Mm -hmm. Imagine if NPR came under the control of a populist nationalist authoritarian government and all the all the journalists who were there were fired and they bring in their own hacks and they spend all day every day uh spouting conspiracy theories and attacking individuals and groups including for example lgbtq people um with the uh imprimatur of this is npr news right PBS starts showing <laughs> not education on television, but specific cartoons written by specific people. Yeah. Yeah. We could name some specific people who, uh, if they got to be in charge of what was on PBS, 
or what was on NPR. Like Florida now allows the use of PragerU materials in public schools, which is of a specific political and specific religious agenda openly. And that's being promoted elsewhere too, right? Um, Christians, let's say it this way, conservative Christians who are unhappy with the direction of quote unquote mainstream schools had two other options before, right? Homeschool and private school. Um, This is a whole new strategy, it seems to me, the effort to leverage political power to turn public schools into something like private schools. Um, Or, for that matter, to flow tax dollars to private schools in such a way that there is no difference anymore anyway. Right. We heard some about that with with our guest from Americans United a few episodes ago. Right, right. Rachel Lazar. Um, so, so the 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 shrinking of anything like an independent public media or public schools that do not promote um, an authoritarian reactionary political agenda. Um, <clears throat> these are things to keep an eye on. The role of ju- the, the judiciary too. <clears throat> you know. Courts and the legal system operate according to norms that are very vulnerable. The norms of impartiality, of uh, due process, um, of following the law, of fact, fact uh, claims being... Um, significant indeed central you can't just make any kind of claim you have to support factual claims with evidence in other words courts are a place where the older norms of truth law um, objective objectivity um, still uh, survive and where judges are supposed to be the arbiters they're umpires they call balls and strikes fairly um, any umpire or referee in a sports game that doesn't do that, or even we suspect is not doing that, it totally undermines sports, right? Mm-hmm. You need judges to be even more scrupulously fair. But if you put massive partisan political pressure on the judiciary, you threaten a core pillar of, of democracy. Yeah, if the umpire is wearing a Braves jersey, did, you did they have- really win? that you can't have sports anymore. If judges are biased, then the third of our branches of government is at risk, obviously. Um, so the, the claim about Poland is that pressure on the independence of the judiciary was compromising democracy there. And when I think of a lot of what Donald Trump has done, he's constantly pressuring the independence of the judiciary through the way he talks about judges, all the many judges who were hearing all of his many cases, right? All of them biased, all of them unfair, all of them partisan hacks, even when there's no evidence to support that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Here's an anecdote. I have a uh, 
a leader from the church where I grew up was on the school board in my home Florida town. And when she, this was 2012, she was up for re-election. And that's not a partisan position. You don't run as a Democrat or a Republican for the superintendent of the school board. Everyone that when she was out knocking doors demanded to know her political affiliation, knowing that that's never been a part of this equation. Are you a Democrat or a Republican? And the refusal to say was always met with the assumption that you are the opposite of my party. And she did lose that round to uh, someone who was dog whistling their political affiliations while she was strictly Um, playing the game the way she was supposed to. Yes. So you might say democracy dies by a thousand cuts. Mm. Um, That could be tweeted. That could be X'd right there. Democracy dies by a thousand cuts. Um, Nonpartisan school board elections. You don't think of that as a really big deal, right? But what do you, who do you want on the school board? Isn't it, didn't we used to want people who cared about kids, who knew something about education, and who were careful, hardworking people who would just do the best job that they could? You would think. Now we want someone we can control. Who will advance our agenda. But part of the story that the right is telling is that the left is attempting to indoctrinate children through the schools. And so, therefore, we need to indoctrinate children through the schools, just with our indoctrination. That's a really good microcosm of how how the common ground that is required in a pluralistic democracy goes away. Mm-hmm. The liberals win, and and the accusation is they set about indoctrinating kids with every liberal idea. Then the conservatives mobilize and win, and they set about indoctrinating the kids with every conservative ideal. Then the liberals win, then the conservatives win, then the liberals win. Think about the whiplash for the kids. This year we're doing, you know, Heather has two mommies, and next year we're doing PragerU, right? Um, you know, we when common ground disappears and everything becomes politicized and everything becomes of cosmic significance. That's when you, you're watching a democracy at risk. So the judiciary, think of all those institutions in which truth, facts, and fairness are essential. The judiciary is one of them. The media is another one. We already have a problem with biased media. Our media is corporate and profit-driven, mm-hmm. right? And click-driven in the social media space. Which presents all sorts of nasty... It's blowback. Things we didn't know not to expect have come to get us because of how we now have to structure things to get the clicks to justify having that space. Right. So outrage machines. So social media is an outrage machine um, in an echo chamber. Um, So any space where there is an effort to simply tell the truth in an unbiased way is very precious and very fragile. There's, I saw it advertised on one of the social medias 
yesterday. I don't remember the name of it, but it's it's pitch, it's line, it's thing is like non-biased news for Christians. Okay. And so it reports what it says it does is that it gives you the facts about an event and then relevant scriptures to pair with it, to help a Christian think about it. My gut reaction is to attach scripture to it is to control how people receive it. But also, if you go to the comment section, no Christian in the comment section is buying it. Christian news should be biased, Mm. is the consumer response. Biased to the right? Yes. Well, biased to whatever the Christian thinks is the right side. Um, Yeah. Which is normally right wing now. It's yes, in that space, right? And that—that that was the arguments being made in, in the comment section. Yeah. yeah. That to be non-biased is to be liberal. By the way, this um, another sector, of uh, where the canons of excellence used to be, uh, objectivity, um, uh, serious research peer review was um, the higher ranks of the civil service as well as academia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my father worked in the, in the upper reaches of uh, the, swamp. the congressional re- of the research service of the Congress. And he, his job was to provide nonpartisan factual research on energy and environmental policy issues. Uh, the Congressional Research Service job was to brief uh, congressional people and staff on issues so that they could make uh, intelligent judgments about policy questions. So on the uh, the procedural TV shows, he's the guy who walks in with the, the big packet. So here's what we know. Here's what we know. That's right. Here's what we know. And because they serve both Democrats and Republicans, they had to show not a hint of bias of any type. Otherwise, if they did, if they were perceived as showing bias, then they they would have gone out of business because one party would have defunded them, right? When they were in power. So dad was always proud of how his job was just the facts and analysis. You know, if we do this, this will likely happen. If we try that, this will likely happen. You know, if we do this policy, this will be the result. <clears throat> and for the for the staffers to have no idea what dad's politics were. Mm-hmm. So the politicians would make decisions, maybe re- disregarding what was brought to them, but they knew they could trust the information. That's right. That's exactly right. And media is supposed to, at least some sectors of media supposed to be the same thing. That's what ABC, CBS, and NBC are still probably trying to do on their evening newscast. And it's what um, public media is supposed to do. Um, it's interesting that authoritarian leaders always go after those sectors. Hmm. They go after the media, they go after the civil servants, and they go after the academics. So let's talk about academics for just a minute. I know some of them. The the accusation is that all academics are liberal. And so therefore we need to gut or ignore the ignore academia or gut it and replace it with our kind of people. Um, that 
by the way, is also sometimes the project at the K through 12 level, right? Um, those liberal teachers are ruining our children. Let's replace them with PragerU or whatever, right? Um, I would say that there are standards of excellence in academia that are not they're not ideological. They're about research. They're about argumentation. They're about making a good argument and giving good reasons for it and showing your work. Peer review is partly about assessing those standards. I do this every day in my work at the Free University of Amsterdam, supervising PhD students. It's not about whether we agree with their arguments. It's about whether they're meeting the standards of excellence for how you make an argument. Mm -hmm. I would say one reason I said yes to that job in Amsterdam was because I suspected that the partisanship and polarization that is affecting us here would be less apparent there. And that has been the case. That's fascinating. So like, yeah, no, I mean, everybody's doing different things, but I review, I'm in charge of the committee at the Free University of Amsterdam that reviews all PhD proposals for every faculty member at that school. So we have students doing stuff on Calvinism and doing stuff on Hinduism and doing stuff on Catholicism and, and doing ethnographic research and doing stuff from Britain and Indonesia and whatever. A global community of scholars who have nothing in common other than the serious search for knowledge. And how we evaluate those proposals is not based on whether we like their politics. We don't know what their politics is. How we evaluate them is whether they're meeting the standards of excellence for, for PhD projects. Have they, have, they, have they studied the proper literature? Have they proposed a good research question? Have they, have they uh, framed good sub-questions? Have they written their work well? Are they able to respond to critique? Right now, Jeremy, any space where nonpartisan, nonpolarized work is being done is precious and must be protected. And authoritarians come in and they attack all such spaces. We want, like in Hungary, which we'll talk about uh, in a future discussion, efforts have been made to compromise the civil service and academia and the media and the judiciary. It's all of them. Hmm. So we've got to watch out for that here. Um, democracy liberal democracy is not just about rules like how elections are held. It's also about norms, like how we understand knowledge and how we talk to each other. Yeah. And, and what sectors you need to be healthy, like a healthy media and a healthy academic sector and NGOs and nonprofits and stuff to keep the society functioning. Authoritarians attack all of those because they want to control them. And have everybody singing from the same hymn book. That's a problem. But the good news of this session, Jeremy, is that in Poland, 75% of the people came out to vote. That's a you huge turnout normal, number. What our normal turnout number is in this country? Isn't it in, in the high year? 30s? In a presidential election year, we might get to 50 or 55. So they got to 73, 74, 75. And they appear to have voted out 
um, the party that has been uh, moving Poland in an authoritarian, reactionary, Christian political way for the last eight years. And I say it's a good thing. And may may they set an example for the rest of us. Thank you, David. That's certainly it's neat to be looking at something that you can go look at. We can go listeners can go pull up news articles from this week and follow up on this conversation themselves. So that's really that's really cool that we've moved out of I don't know if it's cool, it might be frightening, but we've moved out of history and into the creation of it. This is one of the stories that we're telling. So uh, stay informed, y'all, and keep listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. Uh, we will be having more episodes coming each Monday as we continue this journey through David's new book. It's not even new anymore. Now it's just David's recent book. He'll probably have another one out tomorrow. Who knows? This guy's ridiculous. I don't know how he writes like this. The um, So go find Defending Democracy from Its Christian Enemies if you haven't yet. Uh, These conversations are meant to either tease you towards it, get you thinking about these topics, or support you in your continued study as you work through the book. So we're glad that you're with us. We look forward to hearing from you. You can find us on all the various social medias and our respective websites that are easy to find. They're just our names, RevJeremyHall.com and JeremyHall.co. That's uh, for my books. And David's site is davidpgushy.com. And he's smart, so all of his stuff is on one website. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. We look forward to hearing from you. This is Kingdom Ethics.